Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. All right, today I am joined by an incredible athlete who has just accomplished so much in his career. He's a two-time Olympian, having competed in the triathlon event at both 04 and 2012 Summer Olympics. He's also an Ironman champion, having won multiple Ironman events throughout his career and finished multiple times in the top 10 at the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. But it doesn't just stop there. He's also spent time as a professional cyclist, racing for Team Slipstream and finishing 11th at the cycling road race at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. On top of all of that, he comes from a family of athletes, with his father having competed in rowing at the 1972 Olympics before switching to the marathon and triathlon, and his mother also a successful marathon runner. And his wife, Nikki, is also a professional triathlete. He's now a father of four kids, Mate, you've been busy, but he's been a good mate of mine for the better part of two years, and it's just an absolute honor to have him join me today. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Tyler Butterfield, how are you, mate? Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, anyone listening, you can take a bit of that uh, with a pinch of salt. It <laughs> sounded pretty good, um, but uh, you got you to gotta be good at, at, uh, at talking it up and putting a bit of sugar on it. But no, it's, it's been a great career. It's nice of you. You've done your homework with my with my dad and my mom. I'm actually very proud of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife Nikki, like she's actually the hitter in the family. She's actually on stats on paper better than I ever was. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been it's been a cool journey from Bermuda to Australia to meet my wife, uh, meet you. I mean, I met you actually in Bermuda before I moved to Australia. Uh-huh. Um, you and one of your your good mates, Chris McCormack, is is one of the reasons I moved to Australia. But yeah, it's been it's it's been a whirlwind. I'm at the end now, and I'm sort of scratching my head on what I'm doing next. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. So thank you for having me on. You've always been incredibly humble. This episode is not about you being humble. Celebrating what I love about you is is you know I often say at the start of each episode, you know, success comes to those who endure one moment longer. And I've always been fascinated by your endurance of consistency over time. Um, you've always uh, you've always been really passionate about what you're doing. You know, you're a true joy to train with and be around because you love the sport and you love what you're doing. Um, so don't be humble on this episode. Um, everything I read above is in the intro is simply uh, fact and, and it is quite extraordinary. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show is I was just scrolling through Instagram as you do sometimes and there you were with Brad Carlefelt and you were doing another marathon. Where was that? What were you up to? Uh, yeah, that was Seville. So, um, yeah, it was good fun. So Brad sort of picked some. We did one 2019, one called Lake Biowa, which like the people in the marathon world know of it, but a lot of US people don't know of it. And then I got back to the gym and I was in Rally Sport, which is one of the gyms in, in Boulder. Hmm. And Frank Short is walking around. He's like, yeah, I won that. And he's like then telling me a story about someone he had to go to the bathroom and someone took a picture of him and he broke the guy's camera because he's like, that can't get out. Um, <laughs> and, th- and that's what I love. Like I love the older generation. Yeah. Um, when you say I'm so passionate, I had guys like yourself, Maka, Crowey to look up to. Um, and even before this podcast, when I said I was going on, Nikki's like, oh, you'll love it. Like 
there's an ongoing thing that I can talk underwater. Like even, even swim training, people will be like, well, Tyler's going to talk your ear off. Um, <laughs> and, and that's why most, most of my training partners like to swim. Cause they're like, oh, finally we get, we get a, we get a breath and we, we get some quiet time with Tyler. I sometimes wonder, like, I think it stem, stems from my brother was actually the more talented athlete. Mm. So even when I won as a kid, um, I, I would win, win races, but I'd also lose them. Like it wasn't one of these kids that won everything. My brother was more on that, on that track. And he even went away to boarding school and he won everything at his, at his new boarding school. His second boarding school when he was a little older had a, had a guy on scholarship. And so suddenly he didn't win. And he's like, oh, I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to do other things. Um, for me, it's never been about winning. It's been about the pursuit of how good you can be. I mean, I also had the, the influence of we had ITU races in Bermuda in the, in the late 90s. I think we had two in the early 90s that like uh, Mark Allen might have came to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know uh, Karen Smyers came to one. Um, but then the next one was more prevalent for me because I remember it because Chris McCormack stayed at my house. I actually think Chris McCormack and Ryan Bolton stayed at my house, but I, I don't know. I did, never stayed in contact with Ryan about it. But Chris, we've stayed in contact ever since. I remember, I think you were third or second that well year. Well done. No, third, third. I was definitely third. third. Yeah. That, that was the start of it for me, of, of taking it. Uh, I never wanted to be professional. That's the other reason I've been passionate. I, I actually right? don't like. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to test myself. So when I was 14, I won, I won Bermuda's national championships. Not for a junior. I won the Open national championships. Yeah. So it was like, it was like you can always find a race that you can go to that you can win. I bet you I could find a race tomorrow that, uh, that, that you could line up on and you could win. Not me. Um, maybe not. <laughs> no, I guarantee not I could find one. Yeah, maybe, could, maybe the, the, the Wheat Bigs kids under fives at the moment. I think I could take them. But <laughs> no, no. I heard on one of your things you've been doing up to 5K and the 5K is pretty good. So I bet you I could, fi- I could find a sprint distance that you could or super sprint. Oh, mate, you'd be spending a lot of time doing your homework on that. But I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. There are a lot of sports around, you know, a lot of triathlon events around the world and you can find ones with, yeah. with a lowered standard. But you've never been one to pick the the easy route. You know, from what I can tell, you've always wanted the big championships that extend you and push you, right? Yeah. Well, and that's because I think when I was younger, like I won a national title as a junior and then I actually went on to the US. Um, I've chased world championships. Um, I love them. Yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd rather get a 10th at a world than win a 70.3, um, which is why some of the stats, like I've actually only won one Ironman in my whole career. Um, and it was in 2019. It took me basically two decades to win, uh, win an Ironman, but it was never my goal. My goal was, was always to see where I could be in Kona. You um, crushed that Ironman. Yeah. It caused um, yeah, but it, then got, it got crushed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not, not even, not even a fast time. It was eight, no, seven forty four. Yeah. Um, and, and I was super proud cause I beat Keenly's record who had seven forty eight, and I, and I was the only one to do it. Yeah. Second place didn't get under his time. And I'm like, Keenly's a legend. Um, yeah. and then, but th- then we didn't have it. The next year was COVID the next year. Um, yeah, Christian Blumenfeld sh- yeah. shows up and, and, and destroys it. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the conditions were favorable. I would say that's the thing with these iron you do have to take into consideration the conditions too, right? Oh, for sure. Like yeah. I had favorable conditions, so I actually didn't think he was going to get close because there was no win the day I did it. Like I had, like, I mean, there's no way that, yeah. that basically Keenly rode, I think, 10 minutes faster than me and I rode 10 minutes faster and I ran 10 minutes faster than his run mm. and we swam a, a little bit different and that, and that was it. Um, that's what made the difference between me getting under his time. 
and I was, and I will say the super shoes have prolonged my career by far. Like oh. I'll, I'll come out and be honest about that. I mean, they're great. The, the conditions they had, I guess, see, we, there's always a current and, and, but the wind is normally against the current, what little wind there was the day we had it. And I guess I found out for them cause I could not fathom someone going 20 minutes quicker. Like if you rode as fast as Keenly, I'm like, I can see if you can do Keenly's bike and, and the run I did, then you're 10, 12 minutes faster. Um, but yeah, like five people went under. But under the swim, the I think I remember the swim was about thirty minutes or something too, wasn't it? Like, yeah, but that was for me too. The swim's always around thirty-six minutes. Um, oh. So I can't. That's the thing is you're comparing apples to apples. They they did have an incredible day, but it's uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I mean, so the reason I think I'm so passionate is because it didn't. It's definitely triathlons what I excelled at, mm. but I wasn't a superstar right away. But then I had enough, like my, my mom being American, we would go over, I had a U.S. passport. And so I'd go over to Florida and do some of these junior uh, national races. And so there was a, a world qualifier before the 99 worlds. Um, and it was my first Olympic distance race. And I, I didn't really know what to expect. And yeah, and I ended up winning the, the race and I was 16 and everyone, it was when junior was 19 or 20 and under. Yeah. Um, so the other guys were 19 um and again it was on the run where i caught back up um and then later i moved to australia uh, my swim coach at the time was like look he was an australian he went to school in brisbane he's like look if you if you want to really pursue this you need to go to australia you, you, you the weekends you can just do these weekend races and you'll race people like greg bennett chris hill simon lessing uh miles stewart uh, Chris McCormack and, and, and he's like and I'm like what do you mean you get $20 and you race them and he's like well you, you might be in their category and if you go in open you might be in yours but it's the same course and you can just see where you where you where you lay with these guys um, and so yeah I, I, I finished school in Bermuda but we're on the British system uh, so we finished school early and then uh, instead of only I think one person out of my whole grade went straight to the US colleges and he had a scholarship everyone else did a 13th year so I moved to Australia, I packed them up and I said, okay, I'll do, I'll repeat year 12 at a school. Um, and it was amazing. It was, so I did that year, did a bit of triathlon, did, did school. Um, but I was entering these races, but I, I wasn't fully immersed in the, the triathlon community till I graduated. Um, and Bermuda is literally the other end of the, the, the world. Like one's 30 degrees North, one's 30 degrees South and they're opposite sides. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to go home for no. Christmas or, and I was out training one day and I, and I was on a ride and I bumped into, to Louise Devron and uh, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm a tri triathlete. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, Louise's husband was Bill Devron who was running the high performance, uh, director for Australia. I, at the time, I don't think he was cause this was 2002. He then joined. Yeah. It was right about then that he became the high performance director for, cause I know he, by 2004, he was our high performance director. Yeah. Yeah, leading into Athens, yeah, he definitely, yeah. and then I think he took it all the way to, did he take it to London? No, he took it to Beijing, to Beijing but yeah. they were influential because then I was on the ride and, and Louise is like, oh, so, and I, 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 you hear it all the time. It's probably a bit of my American accent. They're like, oh, this guy's going on. And, and I'm like, yeah, I can hold my own a little. And, and she's like, okay. And she's asking what school I went to. And I was like, oh, I went to Southport school. And she's like, oh, so you did the GPS. I said, yeah, I won GPS cross country. And suddenly she was like, that's like the inner school cross country championship. She was like, oh, okay. So you can run. And I was like, yes, I can run. The swim, I struggle. The bike, I'm okay at. But she was a cyclist as well. And so then it was like, oh, so have you done any cycling? I was like, oh, I went to Junior Worlds uh, in Plouay for cycling. Um, but again, then I, I just finished. Like from 
Bermuda, we never had a junior actually make it to the finish within the time cut. Like the standards for Bermuda were just low. But the guy in front of me who did it went on to become a, a professional cyclist. But when you're coming from 65,000 and you're doing races of, I don't know, like 10 juniors and you might be in the open race of uh, 50 people, you suddenly go into 130 of the best juniors in the world and it's night and day the difference. And they've been racing in Europe since they were 12. When you come from a small country like Bermuda, it, it seems to me there's the opportunity to jump straight onto the world big stage, but you miss the steps, you know, so can it feel a little daunting when you go sort of from a 65,000 people country to suddenly a world tight, a world championship where when you come from Australia or the US, like you got all these steps to, to jump through. So by the time you get to worlds, it doesn't feel like that big of a step. Uh, it's funny. I've never thought of it that way because um, like, I guess I held my own, but Flora has shown that she can succeed. Um, but if but if you follow Flora's tracks, she was an incredible talent as a junior. Like I remember doing a, a, a camp and she was like an eight-year-old and I was helping run the camp at 12. And I think it was a Steve True camp. Any, any British triathlete will know Steve True. He's been around for a long time. So he was running it and we set up these cones. I've told some people might have heard this story, but I set up these cones and I showed all the kids the course. And uh, then they all raced it. And one, one kid goes, oh, why don't you do it for time? How fast can you do it? And I did it. And it was about like a minute. And all the other kids were doing it in almost two minutes or a minute and a half. And then Flora went. And someone goes, oh, Flora just did 55 seconds. And I was like, no. <laughs> and, so, and so then I, she did it again. And she was, sure enough, 54, 55 seconds. And then I went and did it. And sure enough, I was a minute. And I was like, this little girl just beat me around these cones in this like figure eight loop. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is incredible. And I was like, her bike's shorter than mine. I'm, I'm blaming it on that. <laughs> it's the equipment. It's the equipment. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the cones were super tight. Like it maybe yeah. wasn't even a minute course, but she beat me. And I mean, this was an eight year old girl beating a 12 year old boy. Like that, that's incredible. Yeah. And, and her friends that she grew up with were all two years older than her in the triathlon world. Yeah. And then she went on at, at 16, um, to get, I want to say six or eight at Com Games, the Com Games that Brad won, um, yeah. and that I was in cycling. She that was sort of her breakthrough triathlon on the world stage. Yeah, two thousand and six. That's right. Yes, yeah. yeah, in Melbourne, and then it got hard for her because the one thing from Bermuda that I found even more of a struggle is when you got success, you very quickly were put on a pedestal. Yeah, and then you only had one way to go. It was very hard to just keep going up because you, you like at 14 or 15 you're on the front of the national newspaper you're you might get a few local sponsors but but they're national sponsors like it doesn't get any bigger but it's it's almost like you do only have one way to go and i and I, I mean it would be interesting to know flora's side of that i i struggled more with that a quick break to let you know about any question the place that you can go and ask the world's greatest experts any questions you want you can already listen to all of their answers we have thousands of experts across multiple channels now um, where you can go and just listen to great content it's all free go check it out you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash greg bennett and you can use that to go sign in on ios or android go check it out any question Cancun Worlds was a real breakthrough race for you, right? I mean, that was a podium performance and Terenzo Bazzoni, I remember he, he, he won that Junior Worlds. 
Um, and da- and ha- David Haas, yeah, that's right, he was second. David Haas yeah. was was second. I mean, yeah. that's my uh, my favorite race of of my career. Like that that tops fifth in Kona for me. Wow. Mainly just there was no BS. There was no there was no money involved. There was no career involved. There was just a bunch of kids out racing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the fu- the funny thing is, before the start, Bill Davron said because the year before he got a third, he looks at me and he's like, "Whatever you do, don't get second. <laughs> and and the funny thing is I have a picture of me and Terenzo running side by side with 800 to go, maybe even 500 to go. You, you basically ran down this this esplanade. The pros were actually on the other side and you had this tight uh, right-hand turn mm. onto a blue carpet. It was on grass. And it was a tight enough turn that whoever had the inside was going to come out with a sizable yeah. a sizable gap. Yeah, yeah. And so sure enough, we're running. And, and there's a photo and it's me and Terenzo on the front you can see this hairline of David Haas and I think one of the, another New Zealand guy. And then if you actually count the feet, you realize there's six or seven of us. Yeah, because the South African guy was tucked in there. Yeah. You only see two people on the front, but you count the hairlines and the feet. And, you, and, and, and for a while, you're like, oh, no, that's that guy's shoe. And then you're like, no, that's an Adidas, that's a Nike. It was like <laughs> eight of us because it, it was the first time you had a sprint world. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There just was no separation. We were all so similar. Um, I think the fastest run was from the guy who got fourth. I think I had the second fastest, then David Haas, and then Terenzo had like, because he had a faster transition, he actually rode with his run shoes on. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was just the greatest race. And so I actually turned the corner with Terenzo and he just gaps me. I mean, he has a kick on him. I don't, I can't, can't sprint to save my life. But I sort of look over my shoulder and uh, the blue carpet was on grass. So there's all these air pockets. Oh, isn't that the worst? I, I, You're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, I, I hit the deck. I hit oh, the deck. Oh, did you really? Oh, no. My mom has photos. She was there watching this photos, and there's a photo of just, you see you see Terenzo, myself, David Haas, and we're all like five meters apart. Um, like, Terenzo put a pretty big gap on me in the corner, and I put a pretty big gap. Like, it was it was settled. Yeah. And then you just see this photo of Terenzo and David, and, and if you look closely, there's a shoe above the barrier. My foot <laughs> is, is up in the air, and then I was just happy I got up and got third because, I, like I said to Bill after, Bill, Bill a couple times was like, oh, you got second. Just claim it. You were second with 100 meters. I said, no, I got third. That's what the results say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, there's no difference between second and third at a world champs anyway. You're a world champ or you're not. Like, yeah. you're, you're world champ or you're on the podium. I always, I always say odd numbers. I like finishing odd numbers. I don't like even numbers. I feel like odd numbers, you know, first is a win, third you're on the podium, top five sounds all right, whereas fourth you're just yeah. off the podium and second you're just off the win. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't like even numbers. <laughs> yeah, the even, one, the even ones would be harder to take. Yeah, exactly. They're harder to take. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, so I think that's where my passion came from yeah. was actually stems way back to my brother being better than me because um, Nikki, my wife, is very different. Like she loves winning. She's not going to win to the end of her career. She's like, look, I don't think I can win. I'm done. I'm hanging, I'm hanging it up. Whereas yeah. I was like, I don't think I can win, but I think on a good day I can still be in the mix and I'm happy with that. So what, what is some of, you know, you talk about enjoying and loving the sport, traveling the world, you know, what have been some of the greatest highs and, 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 and even let's, let's do it in two parts. We'll do the highs first, but then the lows and, and, and I guess the lessons that you've learned, you know, through sport. So let's talk about the highs first. Um, I, the high is just the whole thing. Like literally, uh, I mean, I can remember sitting, having breakfast with you and Laura, uh, in an off season and you're like, we got to do this more. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. But like, you also know like this isn't reality we're in the off season we're hardly training um it's it's the whole thing like 
clumped in one is is my high. The one-off points, like the races winning, yeah, or, or getting like winning Cozumel was great. Fifth in Kona was cool because I got the, I got a photo and I got the kids. Mm. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, I got to watch Nikki do cycling worlds and and she took the bell lap at a world championships alone. And then she she was distraught with the finishing place. I mean, but you're 15th in UCI worlds and you're upset at yourself. But I got to be there and I understood why she was upset. She knew she was better than that and she didn't want to go in the early break and then drop everyone and take the bell lap alone. So I understood both parts, but I got to see that. I got to be there for that. Like me and my wife got to travel the world together, meet meet cool people, meet people like yourself. Yeah, it's it's the whole story is the high. Like it it is pretty much my life. Like I, I raced from when I was seven. Wow. Once I hit fourteen, I would go away with with another family from Bermuda half the time to these U.S. races. And from fourteen till literally last year, I can't remember the time I haven't traveled with a bike. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling more now, like now that it's like, you know, you have to let that go at some point. Well, now you have four kids and, you know, there's a bit more responsibility on your plate too, right? It's not as easy as just packing up a bag and disappearing for weeks at a time. Yeah, for sure. And well, we, we thrived on that. Like Nikki used to nanny, like she nannied for two twins. Uh, she's always wanted a lot of kids. So oh, okay. for us, it was the only change actually happened. Like the hard part for me in my racing career was once we had three um and i think if you ask crowy he'd, he'd say a similar thing i we i never liked to do camps like uh when i lived here we we, we loved altitude our whole life so we moved up a mountain um and so we were at two thousand four, three or 400 meters like seven thousand five hundred feet hmm. just so we we always created i never needed to go on training camps because we we made sure home was, home was a camp home was a camp home was yeah. yeah, it was definitely, and, and, and so many people are like, well, how did Nikki put up with that? And it's like, well, Nikki came from cycling. So like we lived in Girona for a couple of years when no triathletes lived there. There was one triathlete um, who lived down in Barcelona. Uh, I think Vic, uh, Zamores, was it Victor Zamores? Mm. Uh, but he'd come up because he coached a couple of people, but there was no one there. It was only cyclists. So once I did triathlon, we moved back to Boulder or we moved to Boulder. I'd done camps here when I was like a 13 year old kid. I did a Dave Scott camp with a couple other Bermudians. But yeah, I mean, the, the whole life is, 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 is sort of been a high. I mean, there has been a lot of lows. I, I was, uh, the low for me was into Athens. Um, I actually was like in tears and I didn't want to start. I'd got a wild card. The you didn't want to start, you didn't want to start Athens. You didn't want to start the Olympics. This was about, so this wasn't, this wasn't, and it happens to me quite often. Yeah. Um, this was about six, eight weeks out. So not, not like yeah. once, once it's race week, the nerves are, the nerves are gone. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've already, I've already committed that you're maybe going to be on national TV and be the last out of the water and riding around by yourself. And, and you're that kid from Bermuda who doesn't really belong. I, I came to grips with that training i overtrained in 2002 after after cancun junior worlds getting getting third i was like right i want to step it up and then this is any 18 19 year old kid they don't want to take the steps i didn't want to go well just improve a little like people would say that to me and i'm like no i want to i want to i want to learn to swim (laughs) yeah i want to learn to swim i mean before before um junior worlds in Cancun we went over and did this race in Tokyo it was a, a Conti Cup and uh, I had these races where I was literally first or second running in in the open races um, and so I was a bit like and I know I'm a strong biker but I'm coming out of the water two minutes down um, so it's not that I just was like delusional 
I just had to learn to swim. But that's easier said than done. And when you learn to swim and you suddenly swim more, your your bike and your running goes down. Uh-huh. Um, so so I was I was slightly delusional. Um, you need some delusion to get keep you inspired and motivated. You know, it's like you you got to believe. Yes, a hundred percent. And I don't know. I've been, but whenever I have believed, I just went to Australia and I overtrained. Um, so then I moved back to Bermuda and I was working construction. Um, and someone said to me, someone goes, "Look, they're trying to give you a wild card." to Athens Olympics, but they have not seen you on the race calendar all of this year. And this was 20, uh, 2003. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I was working construction, but I was still looking up the race results. And the guy who got me the the job was like, look, you can't do this for the rest of your life. Like you're looking up the results of the guys racing. You're, I would ride, all I was doing was riding my mountain bike to work. Um, but we had to be at work at seven and we worked till, till five, five thirty, And we worked five, six days a week. Uh, the guys I was working with worked seven days a week. They'd work half day Sunday, um, to do the laundry. Like they were working, I think the smallest week I had to fill out, there was those two Portuguese or two guys from the Azores and the guy who got me the job, a local and, and we were the laborers, but they, they were the Masons. And, but the, the smallest week they worked was 89 hours. Oh my and, gosh. and it just, ta- it just taught me just, I mean, their families were back in the Azores. It just, it just taught a different perspective of, hmm what you think tough is. Um, we had a hurricane hit us and the guy's like, no, no, I want to come to work. And, and he didn't speak English, so he didn't say that, but he basically, I had to learn a bit of Portuguese and, and, and rope is Leisha. And he's like, he's basically saying he wanted to be, to be tied to a ladder and he can keep working. Um, and we're all laughing. We're like, no, you have to take the day off. It taught me a different perspective. Oh, so the lows are, I went back to, to Bermuda, work construction. I got this wild card and I was like, okay, um, a family, uh, like I call her my, anyone who knows Bermuda triathlon knows of Patty Petty and she works for the ITU. Love Patty. Love Patty. Yeah. What a great family. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So they would take me, like I call her my second mom. They would take me to a lot of these races and she's the one who's like, look, you and a guy from Zimbabwe are going to get these wild cards if, if you keep showing up. So I had to literally get on a plane go to go to australia again it's 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 the training ground i knew i started training eight weeks later was under 23 worlds in queenstown and just panic trained for eight weeks which which became sort of my my (laughs) go-to which is that's what you do (laughs) and it was 52nd out of 54 out of the water second fastest bike paul matthews had the fastest bike and third fastest run like gomez outran me i think by 30 seconds and then uh Nick, an Aussie who got second. Yeah, he might not have outran me. And I think that the, he was second. Third place was a German guy. He outran me. But then again, like, so second fastest bike, third fastest run. And I think I ran in eight. Like I was chasing down uh, Luke and... Um, Matthias Heck, you guys were close. I remember Matthias, that. yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we all were with him. I, I don't even know the order, but it was like... Yeah, yeah. Seven, eight, seven, eight, nine. Like Mateus might have got seven, I got eight, and Luke got nine, or, or yeah, the other yeah, way around. The yeah. three of us were all together because it wasn't. It was only a handful of years later that we all switched to. Um, or it seemed like a handful of years, but it might have been been half a decade. And then we all were doing long course. But then I went to Athens, and and I sort of me and Bill had a bit of a, a blow up. Like I had a shoulder, and I wanted to get a, a shoulder injury, and I wanted to get out of the pool. And he's like, "You get out of the pool, don't come back." And I was like, I just got, I was stubborn and I just got out and I, and I thought, oh, I'll be able to smooth this over. And, and that was it. So then I was training on my own into an Olympics, um, where I was out of my depth, which I'd got a wild card for, but the other wild card was given to a Zimbabwe guy who, who also did calm games in 2002 with me and we both couldn't swim. So we were on the bike together. So at least it's okay. Then I found out he's been 
he's been trampled by an elephant and his lungs collapse and he's not taking his spot. So now I'm like, I'm alone. What? Oh, I remember something about that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Great guy. Good duathlete. Yeah, yeah, he did yeah. well at duathlon, uh-huh. duathlon worlds. And yeah, and so that's what, that was a low for me for sure. Um, was I was just the I, whole I experience just, I, is just rocky and pressure and everything else, right? Yeah. I mean, I was 21 going to an Olympics, um, definitely out of my league. It's not like I was a swim biker that was going to like falter in the last stage. It's like your, your key Achilles heel or your, your weak link is the first one. Yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah, it was, uh, that was, that's one of, there's only been a couple lows, but they've always been, I'm on the other side of the world. I don't have any family there. I was sort of dating Nikki, but she's in with the group with Bill and they're all getting on with their training and life's good. I mean, Nikki had won Queenstown. So she won under 23 worlds, um, in, in Queenstown. And so, so Queenstown was great. Like I got eight, I was happy, but it quickly switched. Like yeah. from there, it was like, right, I've, 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 I'm sort of back, but now, now the hard training needs to start. And I just overtrained. Like anyone who's overtrained themselves knows that it's that saying that like, I'll oh, take a day off or two days off and suddenly the the sun's brighter. Like you can, you can be in the middle of a snowstorm, but once you've had three days off, you see the sun. Whereas you can be in Gold yeah. Coast and yeah. it just looks cloudy and it's like, hold on, it's it's 40 degrees and sunny. Like you, there's no cloud in the sky, but you're just, you're just down. And, uh, and that's the only low and, and that's the one I, th- and I think nowadays the athletes are better. Um, back then it was like, you just put up with that. Like that's part and parcel of, of training hard were the, were the down periods. And na- nowadays they have sports psychiatrists. And, and I, for me, it was like, no, you only went to a psychiatrist if you were literally about to go in the loony bin. Yeah, no, well that, that, that's all definitely come, you know, well the, the science coming out and the research papers coming out on, on, you know, and I've referenced this many times on, on the show is, you know, what you think has a direct impact on your physiology. When, when you think about the power of the brain and what we think, and even now it's, you know, the gut biome going with the brain and how they're all connected and how your diet and fueling then affect your brain and vice versa. And it, it really is, we've come so far just in those conversations compared to, yeah, the early noughties and the, and the 90s. Whoever trains the hardest and is the most brutal and is the hardest man on the, gets to win. And there was this hardness, but it was also with that hardness, it was very unhealthy and it wasn't sustainable. You know, it wasn't the right way to approach to optimize your performance either. And so, yeah, the science that's come out right now is absolutely amazing. You know, you started the sport at seven. What, what has really stood out to you over this, you know, this very, very long and successful journey? So big changes. Are, so it's, it's funny, like technology um, and equipment. I mean, I love equipment. When Ceramic Speed was bringing uh, out the oversized pulleys, um, I was one of the first well, I was on the burner, which before Ceramic Speed bought it. So I remember they sent some prototypes to me, um, and I literally got with Ceramic Speed before my first Kona. And I was, and when they swapped out the bearings, I was like, "This is night and day." What I was on, and the thing that, that that now has hit me is if you don't have the equipment, you're at a disadvantage. Like back then, I think I had a Bernard, I had a race chain. Uh, Freddie Van Leer did. Keenly was always up on it. Um, I mean, he was sort of the leader, which is why I used to break away. And, and I don't, I mean, it would be interesting to ask him if his powers have changed much. Um, I know Crowey has, has said, look, my powers between my Konas did not change that much. And I just went so much faster once suddenly I dialed my bike, but he, he always raced with a, with a power meter. And he's like, look, the power didn't change much. Like my physical ability didn't change. Um, and I, and I argue with the key, the, the, the guys now, the kids are so fast, but I think a lot. I'm like, if you put Tim DeBoom, like Tim DeBoom would not have been 
dropped by the group in the swim, so he would have swam with them. I mean, Gustav swam with me in in seventy point three worlds, um, and then and then incredibly went on to win. Like I remember, mm. I was actually tapping him. He was he was on my hip, and I didn't know it was him. And when I f- at like one k, I found out it was him, and I'm like, "What are you doing back here with me? Like you just did the Tokyo Olympics, and now you're swimming with a chopper like myself." And so then I stopped. I stopped whacking the guy on my hip because I realized it was it was the, the defending <laughs> champ. Um, but I literally in, in the swim was thinking, mate, you are having a terrible day. Oh, it sucks to be you, a defending champ, way back here. And he went on to win anyway. Yeah. Um, but but the one thing I, I will say is everyone's gotten faster. Like Keenly used to have the equipment when others didn't, and so he would just ride away. But now what you're seeing is with with the everyone having the better equipment, the whole bunch is moving quicker, which means the whole draft effect moves quicker. Um, cause, cause I would beg to differ now. Like it would be interesting to see the power. I'd say that, that the bike in Kona would be less surgy than it used to be. Yeah. Um, more sustained. Had, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the whole group's going quicker, which is why they're just shattering. Um, I mean, I would love to see, I mean, if you could see, I'd love to see Yan at his best, Gustav at his best, Tim DeBoom at his best, Mark Allen at his best, Chris McCormack at their best. Because I, I honestly think you, you you would be having it would be coming down to to the last couple of oh, kilometers. You bring, be, you bring Mark be, Allen into the mix, Simon Lessing. You bring in all the the best of the best we've seen, and yeah, I don't know that we're we're suddenly. I do think the science of training has helped performance, but I think if everybody had, if we're talking about just natural DNA and physiology, I don't think there's a massive difference. There's, there's yeah. you know, I think we we got, I think we got probably athletes at a younger age, although you were seven when you picked up the sport, but that are really dialing it in, like Alistair Brownlee, um, that he committed fully at a very young age. But I, I don't, I got one I'll throw out to you. My theory with those super shoes, you know, is is not only the performance side in the actual racing, but having those kind of shoes for training means you're able to do more miles on the run with less physical body damage-wise. So your heart and lungs are getting more time. Um, it takes more time to build the strength in your legs because they're, they're, you know, the shoes are soft. But because you you have those shoes, you're able to recover faster and get more out of the bikes as well. And so you're not going into the bike and swim workouts as fatigued as you would have if you didn't have the super shoes. That's my theory. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. If you're a high-volume runner... I still have my my shoes from my my uh, fifth in Kona, and I still run in them occasionally. And I do it because the next day I'm so sore in my calves, but it strengthens my calves. And then when I put the super shoe back on, so like I could argue both sides of that. Like the Adidas was behind Nike in the super shoe, and then they finally brought one out, and so all the sponsored athletes had not used the super shoe, and they used it. And the first time they used it. They set a um, half marathon world record, and they, they suddenly jumped, and and then it plateaued. Yeah, um, yeah. I do think you get a huge, but but to your point as well, like what's the best form of training from your point of view? For me, there, there's no better way to train than the athletic model. But I think it depends on what you tra- what you're training for. Okay, so what I was trying to get is more that like I know that you're a big believer in there's no better rate not racing for training, but like a race, and you keep racing. The benefits you get from a race are massive. Oh like, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah, no. To, to become a great racer, you got to race, and you got to race often. It's, it's. I get. Sorry. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you there. And in your era, you could do that for super for for, for super sprints yeah. for, for enduros, and you you could sort of race a lot in Olympic. But once you stepped up to half Ironman, if you tried to race a lot. You were just you just had too much damage. Yeah, yeah. So the 
the biggest thing now is and, – and some people are like, yeah, well, we don't race into form anyway. But look at Sam Laidlow. Sam Laidlow, you follow his trajectory and the races into Kona, and he kept getting better. Yeah. Uh, in the PTO, I think he was fourth. And then he went and went and got second in Kona. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there to be a little different, but I mean, I, I do look at the Norwegians, but everyone's like, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. But I'm like, lactic testing's been around since uh, Luke Van Leeuwen. And, yeah. and then at the same time, like Christian was beat by Sam Laidlow. And yeah. it's like, so so he, he they, you're proving they're not unbeatable. And then Gustav was beat in 70.3 Worlds, and coming back to the whole, like, I wish I could just put all of them on the same equipment. That's just me being passionate about the sport. Because, I mean, you had you had Tim DeBoom running 240, Mackers ran a 242, and these are all pre-super shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's you do the, 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 the first Nikes were called four percenters. You do four percent on 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 a, on a two forty two marathon, and you're, suddenly you're at two twenties. Yeah, and and Gustav had shoes that are now illegal. Like he had sixty mil instead of forty mil. Is that right? They're now legal. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's photos of them, and I want to try the new on ones because everyone's catching up. And and I think now the super shoes are the shoe that helps you is the one that fits to you most. Like I've always liked the Nikes because they're narrow and they have a bigger heel toe drop. Like I didn't like the Alpha Fly because it was flatter. But a hundred percent, the shoes. I also think, because uh, I know that I want to say you and Maka tapped on it. In your age, uh, you're, you're even the next decade, like, uh, like what I'm saying is there was no way anyone, uh, I mean, I, I, I remember people were like, wow, Bermuda funds you to go to Kona, but yet you're going back to ITU next year. And I was like, yeah, I went to them and I was like, look, I can work in a coffee shop to earn a couple grand a month, or I can go and do these non-drafting races. Like in 20, 2010, I think my worst position outside of Kona and Kona was in the 28 or 29 but my worst position in any other race was fifth mm. so you're just p- picking up the I never got a win I was it was second was my best and fifth was my worst I want to say I was fifth in like Philadelphia insurance but you're picking up these one or two grand checks just all the time mm. and then in, in 2011 I committed I mean they were funding me for 09 and 10 to do long course and I committed that I'd go back to ITU for the London Olympics in 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 2011, I had to go back and I remember staring at myself in the mirror going, you cannot get starts in any races because your points have gone so low. And I went to these, these, uh, Pan American championships and I was like, you need to be top five. And then I worked out the points and I was like, you need to be top three or your Olympic bid is over. Like I made no points in the first half. There's like two sections to qualifying for the Olympics. But the great thing about it was I saw all these other athletes that had spent two years collecting points. And by the time they made it to London, they were flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I, I was like, if I can't be good enough to qualify, I sort of, it, it was sort of that like uh, just in time management. Just you're in the door last, but you're, you're, you're best dressed and you're going to make the most of it. I think sometimes kids now can, can be too like uh, planning too far ahead. Um, but at the same time, you you don't want to have nothing. Um, but yeah, so, so the biggest thing I see with the Norwegians, the biggest thing I see that they're doing differently is their federation is saying, you can go back and forth. Mm. I mean, I always said, if, if imagine if Ironman was an Olympic sport, I think the quality and the depth would have gone up years ago. And so, yeah, it's interesting. The PTO, I think is why a lot of the depth is, is coming because it's, it's now a, it's now a more professional series with a lot of money. Well, I think the PTO positioned themselves right with the races they're putting on as well in terms of athletes being able to squeeze those in the schedule, no problem, because they know they're not going to get beaten up by a 100-kilometer race. You know, a 280-20 is, or is it 280-18 or whatever it is, is um, 
you know, it, that, that is actually a big difference running 18K between compared to 21K. It, it is amazing actually the damage of the running at 18K. I don't know how you feel, but I always felt like a, that kind of a distance would have suited me way better than the 70.3. And I, I just think it's a, it's a nice fit. I think they're doing well in terms of financially supporting the athletes, putting up some big, big dollars. They've done a great job. They really have. Uh, and I know there's still room for improvement, but I think the, the PTO have done outstanding. Hey, let, let, let's keep shifting on. Um, I've got, I want to ask you a couple of opinions before I let you go. And first one is um, I'm curious of your thoughts of with Kona and Nice. So the Ironman World Championship has been split up. When I first heard about it, it wasn't released. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's, And then I was like, oh, man. Like I've, I've flip-flopped back and forth. The biggest uh, thing I do not like is splitting the men and the women. Yeah. I I do not think that having Kona as a world champs every two years uh, is a bad thing. I mean, how how cool are the Olympics? They're every four years. No one's like, yeah, but it's every four years, so you miss a great athlete in the middle. It's like, no, it just means means more. Mm -hmm. If I were Ironman, I would have a one-day event, male and female, every two years it's the world champs. Every other year it's a monument. And then you definitely, like, you will get people who win it the other years that say, I won Kona. And it's like, well, you can either win Kona now, the monument year, or you can win Kona, the world champs. And, and, and they, they alternate. And then, and, and it's, it's sort of like Tim Reed is the one who always was like, it is cool for watching the UCI cycling, how you get a sprinter one year, a climber another year. And, and, it, and it does, it, it does uh, make you choose where you go like I I went to St. George world champs because it was my last one like I qualified in 2019 and I wanted one more Kona as my my final race as a a professional and it just never happened Um, but I should have never gone to to uh, St. George like I hate wetsuit swims like you look at every race I've ever done if I'm in a wetsuit I'm way behind if I'm without a wetsuit I'm pretty close to that front bunch back of it but pretty close and then my threshold is is 290 um, which but I'm almost 80 kilos. So a 290 lactic threshold is pretty good on a flat road. But as soon as you put a hill in at 80 kilos, it's terrible. My power to weight is terrible. My overall power is decent. And then I handle the heat. So what I mean is Kona's a nice, what I like about Kona is it has a bit of everything, um, unless you like cool weather and wetsuit swims. But I do agree with rotating it just to get, the, the cream will always come to the top. Like the cream will always float to the top. You will still always get the best the world champions will always be the best, um, but it is nice to switch it up. Like I don't think Nice suits Yen as much. So for this year, I would have rather it been the male in Kona and the female in Nice just because <laughs> I want to see Yen, the, the old guard, go against the new guard. I like that. That's a good answer, mate. I, I, I concur with you on, on keeping the men and women together. I was kind of disappointed to see them split up. I understand Iron Man have their reasons. Actually, I don't know all of their reasons, but I'm sure they have their reasons in terms of course closures and all sorts of things. I did love watching Chelsea Sidaro break the tape and not have any men, pro men around her. I think that's always been an issue when women get to win a world title. They're often running through you know, men that are finishing the race that started however much time before him. So I did like that. I, I'm a bit disappointed that they're not going to be stuck together. I'm a bit like Tim Reed to some degree, as much as I'm a mad Kona fan and, you know, that's kind of the the lifeblood of the sport to some degree. I, 
I, I have always felt we've missed some world champions that, along the way that weren't specific to hot, humid conditions that maybe were more so, suited to sort of diff, different conditions. But that's what the sport is. I totally agree with you. So on that one, it's like I'm agreeing with half of it, but not all of it, which I think we're, we're saying the same. The other thing is when you were saying the 18 and 21K, I would have loved to have seen you doing the, the PTO and the Collins Cup and Super Shoes. Like you're someone who just loves racing. You knew how to back it up, but you never got to race with a Super Shoe. No, I never got the Super Shoe. It was, uh, I got to try them on once. I was coaching an athlete in 2018, 2019, and, and I, tr- I, I tried on a pair of his and ran down the hallway and I was just like, holy crap. I was like, time to make, and I was reasonably fit still. I was like, time to make a comeback. I was like, don't be silly. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's just reminisce of a trampoline is what it does. It's yeah, just like, hold it's on. Just, it's and it depends not. on the athlete. If you hit the ground, like I hit the ground pretty hard. Like at my, I'm, I'm sure I have a very short amount of time on, on the ground, um, but I hit hard. And so the recoil effect on my foot was really quite outstanding. And I, I was like, oh, I did, I, but look, it is what it is. I had different things in my career that propelled me along pretty well as well. Hey mate, who do you think's the, the greatest triathlete of all time? A male and a female? No wrong answers. Oh. <sighs> funny i'd listen to your other ones and i had all the questions i wrote notes but not that one greatest of all time <laughs> um oh. i should i just say yourself just to suck up oh um, shut up i i honestly don't know i think there's so many different i'm trying to think like uh i i mean i do think christian blumenfeld is heading that way um i mean i love Javi. sorry uh Javi, oh, yeah, but he just too. didn't he didn't he didn't switch over but it, it, i mean it's hard how can you ask a guy to switch over to iron man when he's still dominant well that's it it's a, it's like taking a pay cut it's hard it, i don't think people understand that when you're a professional and you're running a business and you're the best in the world at what you do and at what you do actually pays a hell of a lot more than than what kona does unless you win kona you know, so it's a big gamble to go, okay, I'm going to give up a short course career where I'm making a solid six figure with decent sponsors and, and I'm winning and going to just go straight over to Ironman just because it's, it's a business decision. And I think people like Alistair Brownlee, Javier Gomez, it's been a bigger decision for them than athletes that weren't dominating the short course. And it was just kind of like, no, I'll go to, I'll go to Kona now. I, I think I'll have to say if there's Alistair, Alistair Noya Fadino would be the best, best athlete of all time. You got to throw in Mark Allen in there too. So yeah, but then I mean, you got four names: <laughs> hyphenated Allen. So Fredino hyphenated Allen. I mean, <laughs> Fredino has definitely capitalized on. Uh, I mean, he had a great ITU career, incredible, but he didn't have his good of an ITU career as, as Alistair or Javi. No way. Javi. No way. And, and Javi's got the most world titles, but then Alistair's got the most Olympic medals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I'm a, hopefully Flora, I know Flora, I don't think she really loves the longer course. Hopefully she can, can do and enjoy the longer course, but she's just done so many years of ITU that you only have so much passion in you. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. And I, and I think you, you have this window to unleash that passion, you know, and you're either going to spend it all up in one area. And that's where someone like a Jan Fadino, he had a pretty average career until he, you know, a surprise gold win in, in 08. And really his really hardcore years in ITU were from winning the race in 08 through to 2012. So it was kind of like a four years there. But then he switched and spent the next sort of 10 years going, okay, I'm long course. And I think he, to some degrees, he, he switched pretty early. 
enough time to really give himself every opportunity to have a really outstanding long course career. Yeah, I'd say he capitalized on both. Like Alistair went and did a, did, did a bit longer in ITU. I mean, but that's what got him two gold medals. Um, Unbelievable. So, Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Man. And on the women's, right now I'd have to go with Daniela. Um, I think most people forget that she, oh, she yeah. was she 10th ten, in the Olympics. And like she, she her, her ITU was actually... Her win in Seoul, do you remember that? That Was it Seoul WTS where she outran everybody to take that win in the WTS uh, World Cup or World, whatever it's called? And, then, you know, people forget she was a great short course athlete as well on top of her, what is it, five or six long course world titles. Yeah, exactly, which is what someone like Chrissy didn't have. Chrissy was suited yeah. to long course. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, so those those would sort of be – it's a hard pick for the for – No, the no, I love it, mate. And, and look, I throw it out there. There's no right or wrong answer. It's more of a discussion. Hey, a couple of a – couple of, who would you um, want to have dinner with? Three people. They can be alive or dead, non-family. So this, uh, this one I did do a bit of prep on. Uh, so um, honestly, it would be like some, some, some mates from Bermuda or – I think it would be people that just make me laugh, like like yeah. uh, Dan Hugo, if I could get uh, Chris Gemmell and Chris McCormack, uh, the three of them I'd have have a good time with. Mainly because I don't have to do to do any like homework, because <laughs> um, it would be amazing to have dinner with Nelson Mandela, yeah. but. I would just come across like an idiot, so I'd have to do some homework. Um, That's a great answer. Very <laughs> honest answer. I love it. <laughs> yeah, Gemmel, Macca, and uh, Dan Hugo, I think, would just, the three of them, they wouldn't judge me. I could be an idiot. I mean, I enjoy, that's one reason me and Brad Calafelt have got so long. I mean, we, we live together. We grew up together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he knows, he already list. knows my, yeah, he knows my idiot side of me already. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I can't, I don't have to put up a, a facade. I love, I love uh, that you've picked three people that you can just be comfortable with. You know, it's just, it's just, I just want to be comfortable and have a laugh. I think that's really cool. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, let's finish with some rapid fire. You up for it? I'm up for it. I was gonna say, I love hearing the old stories. Like that's the other thing is hearing, hearing the, the, the stories. From, and, and I know you, you could get thrown in that dinner too, for sure. Like, uh, I'll wait the tables for he- you guys. Hearing- <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do some rapid fire. You ready? You got any fast switch left? Oh, I never had any fast switch. <laughs> no, that's one I've never had, but let's see. All right. I know you're not a reader. But what book would you recommend if you if you could you could be Audible as well? Is there one book you really like? Uh, see, I haven't even done Audibles, and the books I read I actually don't like, and I'm not super proud of. Okay, um, I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pass. Okay, that what one. about I mean, your podcast? You mentioned we were on pre pre show. What's your favorite podcast? I just started to listen to those ones, the Diaries uh, of a CEO, and I found some of them interesting. Some are, some just don't don't mean as much, and others do. I mean, they go pretty in depth about stuff that I've just never been, been ex, not, ex, I experienced like, it's like, we all have our own devils, but they, they, they go, it goes into a lot of like personal detail of yeah. the child growing up. Um, so that would be it. The, the diaries of a, of like a CEO. That. Okay. There's a cool we, one of Nike on there. Oh, that's cool. You got to read a uh, shoe dog. If you like, uh, yes, I do. My that, dad's giving me the book. Really good. It's, it's, I listen I gotta, to it on Audible. It's really good on Audible too. So go. I might, I might have to do that. Yeah. That, if, if you're not a reader, just go download it on Audible and it's a really good book. Um, all right. Two most used apps on your iPhone or your phone. Uh, no, notes and Training Peaks. I looked that one. I did that one. Oh, wow. Okay. Toughest race you ever did? Ooh, toughest. Um, actually, easy, hands down, Kona. 
um, I don't think what makes what makes a, a a race tough is the course. I think what makes a race tough is the competition. That's true. Otherwise, and you could I take see it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Some of the new guys. I mean, it was three rookies were on the podium, but some of the other guys who who'd won plenty of races or done well in the year. I hear it every year after Kona. They're just like, "Yeah, but it was nuts." It was. I was like, "It's two seventy point threes max out back to back glued together." I mean, my 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 five minute first minute power was three fifty most years, and my max power was nine hundred. Yeah. It's like you're doing this in an Ironman. It's like, well. Do you want to be left behind or don't you? Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, there's nothing like competition to uh, okay. to uh, to make it the toughest. I like that. I like that. First job. So, so, so basically, any sorry, any world champs, which world champ Ironman, I found the toughest. I like um, that. First job, I can go to that one. That was a gas station attendant uh, pumping gas, um, <laughs> but it was actually for boats. So it was a boat gas station. Oh, attendant. I like that. Of course, or Bermuda. That's a yeah, big being surrounded by by water. It was a course. It basically was at the the end of you would it would have been your run turnaround actually. Oh, um, yeah. I actually think I I went and got they used to sell like candy and stuff. I want to say when I was watching you run back in ninety, I'm gonna say it was ninety six. It might have been ninety five. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was probably getting Snickers by running down to the gas station. And the lady <laughs> who ran it was just a good friend, and and she she hired me. She's like, oh, we need someone to tie up the boats and pump the gas and. I want to say I was 12, 11 or 12. Good man. Good man. I love that. Out of 10, how cool are you? Uh, five or six. So I, oh, come some on. of these I've, I've three. So I, 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 I was thinking that that's just what I think. Like when I heard of these other people say higher numbers, I was like, man, I got to get a little more self-confidence. <laughs> but uh, I think it comes back Luke to- McKenzie's giving me my highest. I think he gave me a 9.5 and I actually do think Luke is kind of cool. So he- <laughs> Luke is, Luke is very cool. Um, <laughs> but my, my brother's always been the cooler one, always better with the girls. So, so I always just never thought of myself that high. And I'm like, I'm like, can you, can you sing? Can you dance? And can you do a backflip? Like I can't do any of those. Oh, shit. So uh, like, like for me, if you want a 10, like a 10 would have to be, uh, what's his name? Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. He would yeah. be like a 10. Yeah. Yen would be up there. Um, but I haven't seen Yen on the dance floor and I don't think he can do a backflip. I don't know if he can sing. Um, if that's the criteria, mate, I think I can dance. I'm a very good dancer. <laughs> okay. So you're a good dancer and can, can you sing? Cause like what I'm saying is like to be above, like, the, the, the level, like I rate myself as a six or seven because I know people that I would put as like a seven or eight. I don't know too many nines or tens, like maybe a couple nines, but like to be nine or 10 out of cool is like. Yeah. What is cool at the end of the day, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's nonsense. Well, I, it's I, a I, nonsense I've question. Never chased, I've, I've never chased it because no. I think of myself as a five or a. No, no. I mean, there, occasionally I have to do some retail therapy and buy a new T-shirt or some some <laughs> shoes just to, to try and be cool. Because yeah. my wife the other day was like, "Ty, I know you're married. I'm not gonna leave you. You got four kids, but you gotta buy a new T-shirt. Like, I don't care if it's black, white. You buy some new, buy some new clothes. You know Stop what I've done? Ones. You know what I've done? Because I just can't stand making decisions. I've got, I think. Um, it must be ten or twelve, um, just black Lululemon t-shirts. Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> and I, wear I, mean, I was in Australia every day. I was in Aus- 
that's yeah, it's black or white. And I was in Australia, and I I went to uh, I don't know, one of the surf shops, and they had black ones with a pocket, white ones with a pocket. I'm like done. Yeah. Um, but my problem is I don't throw out my old ones. Um, so then no. in the drawer, somehow I'm just like, I'm just like, uh, where'd, where'd the new ones go? And I'm, and I just throw the old ones. You one just on. need to put on um, some weight, mate. Like I did like it now, now I'm, now I'm 180 I'm pounds, scared. 25 pounds heavier than race weight or even I'm like, Oh, they're getting a bit tight. Some of these other ones, Man, you got to bump, bump that 5k run up to 10. No, mate, I'm not interested in, I actually like, I actually like being a bit heavier and stronger. Like I, I enjoy going to the gym and lifting. I don't get me wrong. It sucks trying to run a 5k under 20 minutes. Now you feel the weight, but I also like being able oh, so to lift you, my kids. Yours is muscle mass then. Uh, I wouldn't say it's only muscle. Okay. Not, I, <laughs> not all muscle mass, but at least some of it is. <laughs> some fair, of it is. I'm, enough, definitely, I'm definitely lifting a lot more than I used to. Um, See, I always wanted to be skinny because I never was. I always had, had uh, Gamma calls a meat cleaver as my legs. And I'm like, they're not even that strong. I got to have a high cadence on the bike just to push the strength, but they're just big. So I always am trying to get smaller. But uh, <laughs> I, I definitely said, my wife has said to me in this marathon prep, I was trying to panic train and panic lose weight. And, and it's just like, she's like, I like you strong. And I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but I want to try and, I want to try and run. Brad ran 219 and I, I knew he'd, I knew he would. I knew he'd. Wow, so I was a good, what did you run? 224. We, we went through wow. that half together there. That's yeah, still so very I, good, Ty. Wow. Uh, no, sorry. 224. Yeah. 221's my best. Yeah, but 224 um, but is a bloody good marathon still. Yeah. But when you go through in 109, oh, I, 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 I literally was training like max out for the last, I had 10 weeks. I did max. Uh, eight weeks max out training and uh, and then two weeks of just just oh. hang on to try and freshen up. And I love how you do these as holiday races and you guys are cranking out 219s and 224s. Well, Stixie, Brad's always been, you know, I mean, that's why he's nicknamed Stixie. I mean, he's always yeah. been like a stick. He's a good runner. He's not and one to compare himself. Yeah, he picks, yeah. he picks these good races and so. Mate. Um, yeah. Ty, this has been really just fun to catch up. I'm very aware that, you know, I've, I've kept you talking for a while, but you know, what, what's next for you, mate? Well, well, you know, you, you're 40, you've had, you've had a great career. You're going to keep racing. Are you are you're coaching? What, what are you doing? Uh, I, to be honest, I'm not going to keep racing, but I am tempted. I, I love it to death. I love the simplicity of it. Um, I, 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 I'm glad Brad picked this marathon because I don't really have anything fully focused to jump in on. Mm. I got one athlete who I, I really enjoy coaching. Um, I approached three that I thought last year raced under par. Two, two were really, really successful, but under what I thought they should be achieving, especially knowing some of their training. Um, and, and, and three very different athletes, which I thought, I like the group dynamic. Um, so I've got one and I'm really enjoying that. Okay, so professional athletes you're working with or... Yeah, just one professional. I, I, I want to see if I like it. One professional. I've only done it for a couple months. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm going to see, just do one for the year. But I'm very, I actually think we, we all, and, and some people will disagree with this, we can all follow a similar template. Like I've never met someone who's, you got one or two where their heart rates are super low and others are high, but when they increase their heart rate, they go faster. When they make too much lactate, they blow up. Like yeah, yeah. we all follow these same patterns. There's still a basic find, physiology, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And what I find the other side that needs to be the, the, the training in the physiological side are, are pretty standard. Yeah. You have to tweak, but it's the mental side of what motivates them. What gets them out the door? Do they want to be motivated? Do they just want to be told? Do they want to know? Do they want to have the control? Are they self-sabotaging themselves before a race by doing these last minute things to get a bit of confidence? I find that interesting. And I, and I really had, I mean, I have a 
I have a VO2 of 72 when I'm at my fittest, wow. but yet I've still been able to to do okay. Have a successful career. No, seriously. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, you know, I've even, I remember when I had <coughs> Dan Lorang on the show, you know, coach of Jan Fredino and, and others and Lucy Charles and Annie Hagen. And anyway, I was asking him about, you know, when, when you first started working with Yarm, what was that like, you know, thing? And he said it was actually very underwhelming when I looked at the numbers, you know, and Yarn's not one to share his numbers. Uh, but to hear that we're, you know, we just had a conversation where we're potentially calling one of the greatest of all time and his, under, his numbers were underwhelming. And, and I think to your point, it, it's almost like we're looking at there's so many variables that people shouldn't get caught up in singular numbers. I do think VO2, you know, even a 72 is reasonable, but... I don't know. My wife was 72 at her, at her max. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, gonna- I, do, I, I, do, I do remember that podcast, I think, because other people have quoted it. And I want to say Yans was 72 when he's unfit. Yeah. So, so that's that's the difference. Look, VO twos are trainable, but it's um, a lot of it's divided into your weight as well. That's all part of it. And then the way you do your VO two test, like I don't know how many times you got tested, but you know, I I, I could get my VO two up pretty high depending on when I was getting tested and what kind of test it was and and everything else. And they they, they the VO twos definitely suit shorter short course. Of and course. Like, like I think yeah. some of the highest VO twos are normally milers, and it's a four minute race. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, that's what the Norwegians, I mean, they're doing sprint, which is like a 55 minute race to Olympic, which is like a one forty five. but they're doing basically hour, two hour, four hour, eight hour races. They're not, you're not asking them to do a four minute sub four minute mile. And then three weeks later, Kona, like those, those would be, cause, cause a four minute mile, you're not really in endurance. Like, like you're in sort of, you're, you're like. 200, 400, 800 a mile. I mean, the two and the one, two, four sprints and then 815 are like, I mean, they start to class. I think uh, endurance is like 5K, 10K. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, so that's why I think what they're doing is very possible. I mean, they're showing it's possible. Uh, I just think people before didn't believe it and, and the systems wouldn't allow it. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see if other systems say, yeah, we'll let you go back and forth. I mean, I think one or two of the French guys already did. Didn't one do Long Course Worlds and win it? One of the ITU guys? Yes, you did. Yes, he did. And I can't remember his name off the top of my Wasn't head. Leo, but... it was, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, again, like you said, the French have so many good athletes because their races. I mean, uh, the Com Games, but other Bermuda guy, his name's Tyler as well, Tyler Smith, he's on a French team. And I watched the start of their swim and it looked like something out of a movie. It looked like something out of so awesome. um, <laughs> Armageddon. Like, and I, I just didn't know how they were going to make it around the first buoy. Yeah. And they all went around one buoy. I would have said, do it like sailing where you put two buoys. You all start in the middle. You put a buoy on the right, your buoy on the left, and you get to decide which one you turn around and come back. That's not a bad way to do it. So, yeah. I mean, the, the sailing's cool. The, uh, I think you had him on here, um, Kai Hurst. He was on one of your shows. Yeah, he's a legend, Kai he, Hurst. What yeah, a waterman. And he, yeah. and he was in Bermuda for the for yeah. the the, uh, the sailing because I was going to say another another good dinner person would be one of the engineers that designs those boats. Oh, I'd love to have dinner with. Those new ones. Have you seen them now? There's nothing in the water. Yeah, it's like the tiniest yeah, little foiling, bit of foil. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, 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 I think 
bikes can sort of copy that. I think we still got a little bit to go in the bike industry if they start to look at, at, at what's possible with uh, sort of forward movement. Well, but yeah, like if I had dinner with them, though, I'd have to do homework and then they're trying to have dinner and I'm asking them questions <laughs> like, what, yeah, how do you make that? What's the lift? What's the, uh, oh, uh, mate. but no, this has been great. Thank, thank you for having me. Awesome, Greg. Ty. Uh, it really is great to see you. And I just, you know, I thoroughly enjoy listening to you, you, you tell stories and share your journey. It's been um, a real pleasure to have you on and be able to catch up. And I just wish you all the very best for your future. You've had a long career in sport and, and the changes that you make and everything going forward. So, you know, wish you the very best for your, your future, for you and your family, mate. But thanks for coming yeah. on. Thank you. I'm off to the, the we got a little horse boarding facility that we've had for a couple of years. Oh. Don't have to do much on it, but beginning of the month, got to collect the checks, pay the checks. And uh, <laughs> it, it's an interesting one. It's a labor of love that I'm like, uh, I got dropped. My wife's now homeschooling, so I was like, "Well, now I got the horse uh, horses to You're take care of." You're running a horse business on the side. I love it. You're a hustle. You got the hustle, mate. Thank you, Greg. And I hope for for all the listeners, I hope uh, you can follow the tangents and the me digressing left, right. That's what this show's about, mate. In the mix of it all, there is points to all my uh, my tangents. <laughs> I love it, mate. And yes, for everyone listening, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at BennettEndurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.